today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Some try to find peace at any cost, and then they find themselves more in prison than they ever were before. The only true and the lasting peace comes from who? That Prince of Peace, Jesus himself. The only true lasting peace. He brings to our lives eternal peace. A peace, what? That passes all understanding. A peace that what? It's not like the world gives. It's my peace that I'm giving to you. Nothing the world could offer. And John wishes for and prays for these seven churches that they would receive both grace and peace from the source of all life. Grace and peace from Him. From Him. Have you ever been around anyone that just can't seem to find peace, no matter how hard they try? Maybe you're struggling with that as well. Pastor David wants to encourage us to seek our peace through Jesus. He's the only way that we'll have that true peace that surpasses all understanding. The Lord never promised that we'd have smooth sailing, void of storms, but He did promise never to leave us or forsake us, and that He'd take our burden for us as well. Maybe we just need to ask Him today. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 1 with today's edition of The Open Word. In order to receive that blessing, there's got to be obedience. Because my heart is moved emotionally on a, on a Sunday or through a radio program, a television program, or even in reading the Word, my heart is moved, and I have a big emotional thing, and I'm wiping the tears off my eyes because it's all emotional, and then I go out, it's like the man beholding himself in a mirror, and when he walks away, he forgets what he looks like. You go out, and it doesn't make a change in our heart. He says it's got to make a change in your heart. There's got to be obedience. You've got to keep what it says. There's got to be obedience. When we look at the message to these seven churches, there's a, there's a whole lot to ponder. There's a whole lot for you and I to, to, to consider in all of this reading. There's, there's a lot to weigh, even in our own lives, both as individuals but also corporately as a church as we look through this. How can we look at these seven churches And not say, where are we in the midst of this? What is this speaking to us as a fellowship? No, that's not speaking to us at all. That's speaking to a church back in the second or third century that that has nothing to do with us. I I guarantee you, every one of these churches, there's going to be stuff that we're going to get nailed on, okay? Both as a church and probably also as individuals. I've got to look at it that way. You've got to look at it that way. We can't throw it out there and say, it's a great history lesson. No, there's a lot there. And even the balance, not only of just the seven churches, but the balance of that book. We, we, we need to give heed to these things as the church and as individuals. When an individual hears with his heart, really and truly the word of God then brings about a change. 
a change of course, a change of desires. And then when we allow that word of God to truly penetrate our hearts and we are truly changed, then we start moving in the direction that that change is bringing us. That's the strongest way that you and I can make any kind of a difference in our life. If you're struggling in areas in your life, man, feast on the word of God. Get nourishment from it. Allow the Holy Spirit to take that word and literally soak in to that hard, dry ground of your life in order that, again, the Spirit of God might bear fruit in your lives. And as he changes our lives, then you know what? We begin making the right choices instead of the wrong choices. I have a greater desire to follow the Lord than to follow my flesh or the world or some other crazy scheme. Why? Because I read his word and like the psalmist, man, it becomes sweeter than the honeycomb. And I love it. I love to be nourished by it. Why? Because it changes my life and I see that change going. For all of us, the reason for this writing actually brings us back to what we shared last week. John says, read this word, hear this word, keep this word. Why? Because the time is near. The time is near. We went into that a lot last week and we won't go into that anymore. But now in verses 4 down through 6, John continues on actually with an introduction to his writing. First of all, he actually now comes in and sort of introduces himself once again. Now, he had his name up earlier, and now here a second time. It's kind of interesting. When you look in the gospel according to John, how many times do we find his name written in the gospel of John? Can you put your hands like this and say, none. Even when he's talking about what's going on with the disciples, he talks about, well, the disciple whom Jesus loved, or someone, I mean, he gives himself a pretty good title, but, uh, but he, but he doesn't give his name. Here, now, he's, he's writing his name, he's putting his name here. Again, and, <laughs> we read his name, again, given, not as the author of this book, but actually he's the scribe of this book. Do you understand that? No, it's the Spirit of God that's speaking to him. He is the scribe of this book. The name John was extremely popular during during the first century. There, there were plenty of Johns. And yet, because the writer identifies himself so simply without any other kind of explanation, we are pretty sure that it is probably the Apostle John. And uh, as far as the historical church, the, the first, second, third century church, there's, there's never been any kind of a real doubt about this being John the Apostle that is writing here, the author of the gospel, the other epistles. Uh, the primary intended off, uh, 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 audience is, what does he say in verse 4? John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, 
the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. John is, first of all, his intention is to write these seven churches. Uh, the seven churches of Asia. And whenever that descriptor of the churches in Asia is given, you need to realize that the identity of Asia during that first century is totally different than what you and I look up, Araya. Uh, we think of Asia, we think of China and Korea and Thailand and all of those areas. No, for them, Asia was the area that we now look at as Turkey. And as a matter of fact, all seven of these churches are located in that region or in that area uh, known as Turkey. Uh, John himself was, was again, we, we know that he was sat uh, uh, as an exile on the Isle of Patmos, which was right off the coastline of Turkey. So we know the churches that John is writing to. John was actually the, the pastor, the, the primary leader of the church of Ephesus for a, a good long time. So it only makes sense that who he's writing to are churches that he probably had the most influence with that he connected with best, churches that he interacted with. And so he writes to them. And as he begins the heart of this letter, he writes that pastoral blessing. I, I, I read this and I said, man, that's, that's, that's a pastor writing to, to a congregation. He says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. We look at this, and right off the bat, there's a lot to be said about this blessing that John is giving to the church. John asks for grace and peace to be given to these seven churches. I wonder, as he's writing this, if he's already penned, or at least thought of what was going to be penned in, in chapters 2 and 3, again about the word of Jesus to these churches. And now he's saying, listen, man, this is going to get tough for you guys. So my prayer for you is grace and peace would be upon you. Grace and peace. How desperately the world needs grace. Our human experience is just filled with opportunities both to receive grace and to give grace. But even that is not the kind of grace that John speaks about here. John speaks about here is the grace of God to be upon you. Again, the, the very heart of the gospel, the great need of the church, the deepest need of every sinner, God's riches at Christ's expense. Five letters, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. A great short little definition of what grace is. The fact that when we obtain grace, we're receiving that unmerited favor of Almighty God. You realize that? That's just not our mom being nice to us, okay? That's Almighty God who at, at any moment could just simply breathe the word, and we would be gone. And yet instead of that, what does he do? He breathes out grace upon us. Not because we deserve it, 
but because it's the grace of God. And again, the world in that desperate search for peace. Where do we find peace? Some try to find it in all kinds of outside sources that actually usually end up to all kinds of destructive behaviors, ruined lives. Some try to find peace at any cost, and then they find themselves more in prison than they ever were before. The only true and the lasting peace comes from who? That Prince of Peace, Jesus himself. The only true lasting peace. He brings to our lives eternal peace. A peace, what? That passes all understanding. A peace that what? It's not like the world gives. It's my peace that I'm giving to you. Nothing the world could offer. And John wishes for and prays for these seven churches that they would receive both grace and peace from the source of all life. Grace and peace from him. From him. Now, actually he asked for grace and peace to come from three different sources. They're separate and distinct, and yet they're all actually the same source in one way. Here we see, I believe, the trinity or the triunity of God being shown. Did you notice that first source of blessing? He says, grace and peace from him, what? Who is, who was, and who is to come. Now, right off, a lot of believers would look at that and say, well, that's speaking about Jesus. But you'd be wrong. That's not who he's speaking about. John's first request actually comes from the self-existent one. God, the great I am, God the Father, who was, who is, and who is to come. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because a little bit later, he says, and from Jesus Christ, okay? God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God who always was and who always will be. Now, it's very interesting. We're not going to get into it tonight. So the first blessing, he says, that, that it would come from him who was, who is, or who is, who was, and who is to come. That's God the Father. And then he speaks and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And you might say, whoa, 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 seven, seven spirits. I, I, I'm having trouble enough thinking about the Trinity. And now you're saying that uh, the Holy Spirit is like seven of them. Where are you going with that? Just understand, and we'll get into this even as we get into it. It is speaking more of the sevenfold majesty of the Holy Spirit himself. One Holy Spirit, gang. There is one Holy Spirit. But as John writes here, again, those that are before his throne will speak about that. We'll get into, again, just uh, again some Old Testament passages as well as some places in Revelation that, again, just shows just this majesty, this glory of, of the Holy Spirit and his work. And then he says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Remember, we spoke about that before. He always bore witness of the Father and of the kingdom. He's also the, what does he say there, the firstborn from the dead. Well, what does he mean, firstborn from 
the dead. Well, number one, we believe in the resurrection. We know that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, but what does he mean firstborn? Does that mean that Jesus has other sons, or that God the Father has other sons? No, that's not what it speaks about. It speaks of the authority, and you have to think Middle Eastern to get the best understanding of that. But the firstborn son was the one who had authority in the Middle Eastern culture, and he is the firstborn. Elsewhere in the word, he is spoken of as our elder brother and it's that understanding too of authority and and power over the church not in any kind of a genetic sense at all what it is is again speaking of again that that place of of of, uh, uh, stature before all the rest of creation the firstborn of the dead his position as firstborn and the reality of the truth of his resurrection But he also speaks that he is the ruler over the kings of the earth. There's an interesting thing there. Ruler over the kings of the earth. Did you notice he didn't say who will be ruler over the kings of the earth? We think of the millennial reign when Christ will reign over all things. Yet John says, no, even right now he's the ruler over all the kings of the earth. That shouldn't be a surprise to any of us as believers because Paul tells us the very same thing in the book of Corinthians or in the book of Romans, I'm sorry. He speaks about the fact that there's absolutely no authority that's there but that God doesn't allow that authority to be there. That princes rise and princes fall according to God's hand. So Jesus Christ is already ruler over all the kings of the earth. You say, really? Was he like ruler over Saddam Hussein? Is he ruler over this tyrant and Kim over in Korea and all these tyrants? He is the ruler over them. And I guarantee you, they don't stay any longer than what he allows. We don't understand that. For, for me, I want to say, get rid of these guys. I mean, that's, it's crazy. But you know what? My understanding, my limitation... It's not even that long compared to all of eternity. I don't understand these things. Why? Because I don't remember yesterday very clearly. I don't understand even the things that are happening right now. And I have no clue what tomorrow brings. So why should I be able to understand these things? This is a God thing. And as the word says, it's marvelous in our sight. We, it's unfathomable. We can't even begin to, to measure these things. But yet when the word says that he is ruler over all of creation, ruler over all the kings of the earth, then you know what you and I have to do? We have to say in our foolishness, I'm so limited and I'm such a moron compared to the things of God that I'm just going to accept that and I'm moving forward in the reality that, Lord, you know when to raise him up, you know when to bring him down. And Lord, we just submit all of our lives into your care. And again... We look at our nation and we really, I'm going to widen my boat here, okay? I'm going to really widen my boat. I'm going to bring you all into my boat with me. We are really selfish, self-centered people because we look at our, what are we in, the 21st century, middle America kind of lifestyle, and we wonder why God doesn't act and respond the way that we feel he ought to act and respond. If we could only bring in someone who has lived under absolute persecution all of their life, 
for their faith in Christ. And yet stood strong for the cause of Christ. Stood strong in their testimony of Christ. I think we would be weeping. We would be weeping. I've, I've been asked by uh, Wes Bentley, the, the far-reaching ministries, hey, why don't you come down to Africa with us to the Sudan and, and minister to the chaplains that are there? i got to tell you something. Yeah, this is going on the Internet, but I just want to be honest with you. I think those guys would put me to shame. Put me to shame because of the strength of their faith and their willingness because of their love for Christ to do all that they're doing. Now, I may still do it one day, and hopefully I'll be blessed by it, and hopefully just in the teaching of the Word, they'll be blessed by it. But I've got to tell you, I've got to give those things second thoughts because I know where my selfish little heart is. You know, I, I get upset. Gee, my air condition broke down for three hours last week. Uh, you know, it's really hard. It's really hard in this life. And these guys live lives. And that's right now today. That's not what's going on. We, um, we could go on and on and on of the persecution of believers for 2,000 years. And we are so self-absorbed and so comfortable in our walk in Christ and in our religion. We can't imagine that God would allow anything like that to happen to us. Well, I believe the Lord's coming soon. But if he doesn't, we might get a taste of what our brothers and sisters have tasted through the years. Before World War I, Germany was a godly nation, had great theological thinkers, great churches, great moves of God there. World War I came, Nazism came in, overtook that. I mean, the, the, then the persecution, not only of the Jew, but on the true believing Christian. Not just that I'm a member of this church that the government approves. No, if I was truly born again Christian, the persecution came. China, before it became communist China, man, men like Watchman Nee and other greats of, of, of the faith there, the, the, just the move of God there, communism came in, clamped down everything. Great persecution came on the church. And we could go all over the world and we could see these kinds of things. Look at the Middle East the birthplace of Christianity. And yet in so many of those countries, you're not free to worship the Lord the way you would like to. In many of those countries, you can't even wear a little cross as a a necklace or jewelry. And yet that was the very birthplace of Christianity. So really and truly, could it change for us? Yeah, it really could. So that means that you and I need to continue to go strong in our faith because persecution and trial could come, could come. Let me back that up. The only reason it wouldn't come is that the Lord would come first, okay? Because I believe that it's coming. I believe that it's coming. Should the Lord tarry? And again, if you have a hard time conceiving of that, just pause for a while and think of the changes in our country over the last 50 years, particularly, even over the last 30 years, even over the last 15 or 10 years. There's been dramatic changes, dramatic changes. John moves from this pastoral blessing to really what, what I look at is really a, um, I don't know, I, I would call it a doxology. It's kind of in the middle of uh, verse 5. He starts out, to him 
who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Pastor David Landry has been taking us verse by verse through the book of Revelation, and we know you'll want to come back for more. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen back through other teachings, you can find them all at theopenword.com under the Teachings tab. We hope today's message has touched your heart, settled some questions you've had, and maybe even caused you to ask a dozen more. If you do have questions, we'd love to do all we can to answer them. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd love to pray for you, too, and learn more about your journey of faith. Once again, that number is 520-836-9676. We believe that God has given us the church so that we can learn more about Him and about living together in community. Are you a part of a local body of believers? If you're in the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has a special invitation for you. Thanks for listening to The Open Word. If you're in the Casa Grande area and looking for a church home, I'd love to meet you and shake your hand welcome you to our community of believers here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet weekly on Saturdays, Sundays, and Wednesdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible. You'll be able to find out more about us and get directions by visiting theopenword.com. And under the links at the bottom of the page, click on Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I look forward to meeting you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all we have time for today. But join us to learn more from the pages of Revelation right here on The Open Word.